as we come to chapter 29, you'll recall last week in chapter 28, where David had the whole nation gathered together. He exhorted the nation to obey God's word, obey his commandments, to carefully, diligently seek them so they could be fruitful and be blessed in their own lives. Then he exhorted his son Solomon to seek after the Lord, that if you seek the Lord, he'll be found by you. So he encouraged him in that diligent seeking after the Lord to not just have the word of God to be your compass and guiding and governing you, but to be really seeking the relationship with God, which is what the word of God points us to, is having a relationship with God. And so David, with a heart for the Lord, exhorted Solomon, hey, it's, it's, these things will guide you, these truths and principles, to make you straight and narrow and keep you from evil, but it's really about knowing the Lord. And so he exhorted him there. And then he said, I've accumulated all these things for you. I've got a spirit-led plan that God gave me for you to build the temple. And remember, we talked about this last week in application when we left off in chapter 28. We were talking about being fruitful or successful with the Lord. And building the temple for Solomon was a specific task that took over a decade. So you might think of it like if you're going to get a degree and be a doctor, like something that takes time. It's a, it's a, a larger, a longer time commitment. But you have an idea like, hey, you have a def, you have clear definition of when you're completed, when you've finished your residency, you, you know, you've done this. So it's one of those things that has a, a way to evaluate that you've completed it. And so that was our context. But as we come to the text tonight, we're still in the context of the temple, David and the temple, the people and the temple. And this is where David steps into eternity. He stepped into eternity at the age of 70. So as we come into the text tonight, he's in that last part of his life. He's probably like 69 and he's very close to eternity. And these are the things, the context that we have tonight. And so we go forward where it says this in chapter 29, verse 1. Furthermore, King David said to all the assembly, My son Solomon, whom alone God has chosen, is young and inexperienced. And the work is great, because the temple of God is not for man, but for the Lord God. Now, for the house of my God, I prepare with all my might gold for things to be made of gold, silver for things of silver, bronze for things of bronze, iron for things of iron, wood for things of wood, onyx stones, stones to be set, glistening stones of various colors, all kinds of precious stones, and marble slabs in abundance. Moreover, because I've set my affection on the house of my God, I've given to the house of my God over and above all that I have prepared for the holy house, my own special treasure of gold and silver, 3,000 talents of gold, of the gold of Ophir, and 7,000 talents of refined silver to overlay the walls of the houses, the gold for things of gold and the silver for things of silver, and for all kinds of work to be done by the hands of the craftsmen, who then is willing to consecrate himself this day to the Lord? Then the leaders, verse 6, and the fathers' houses, the leaders of the tribes of Israel, the captains of the thousands and hundreds with the officers over the king's work, offered willingly. They gave for the work of the house of God 5,000 talents and 10,000 darics, that's a historical gold coin equation, of gold, 10,000 talents of silver, 18,000 talents of bronze, 100,000 talents of iron, and whoever had precious stones gave them to the treasury of the house of the Lord into the hand of Jehiel, the Gershonite. Then the people rejoiced, for they had offered willingly, because with a loyal heart they had offered willingly to the Lord, and King David also rejoiced greatly. 
I love that last part of verse 9. King David also rejoiced greatly. Just here he is in that final season of his life. I mean, he's, he's about to cross that bridge. He's about to go into eternity. And as we all know, once you go, you're not coming back. And this is how, this is the last little glimpse of what his life looked like. It's the last little YouTube post of David's last big thing, if you will. I mean, this is it. And there's great rejoicing. What happened in the context here of these verses, 1 through 9, it brought David great rejoicing as the people followed his lead in giving for the temple, for the house of God. Now after this, he talks about and ends up praying to the Lord with the people where he says, you know, all we've done is given back to you what was already yours. And of course, I think most of us know that. Whatever we have from the Lord, our life, our breath of life, it's all from the Lord, of the Lord, by the Lord, and to the Lord. And David goes, we're just giving back to you what is yours. And then he went on to say that it really is a test, that their giving was a test before the Lord, and that essentially they were certainly passing it. He said, from the abundance, from this abundance, that we prepare to build your house to your holy name is from your hand, and it's all your own. And I know also, my God, that you test the hearts and have pleasure in a rightness. That's what he said later on there in verse 16. So we have this context for us in the passage this way. Now, as we look at this text tonight, if last week was about a defined work, being successful in something entrusted to us, this is similar but a little bit different because this is 100% absolutely kingdom work. So let's draw that distinction because we know for a disciple of Jesus Christ, somebody who follows Jesus Christ, that everything has meaning and purpose in the Lord. We know that a cup of cold water given to a child has a reward for us in eternity. We, we know that there's a blessing and there's dignity on every work we could ever possibly do that God's called us to do. So when we go to work, whether it seems menial or very profound, we know that, as Colossians says, that we have the perspective that we're doing as unto the Lord and not unto men, that we can glorify the Lord and we're letting our light shine for the Lord. So whatever our jobs are, whatever they look like, our role as a mother or just whatever it might be as a wife, however, our, our purpose when we wake up and do work, there's things we do that are chores, responsibilities, and things like that that we all have, the responsibilities that unfold for our life. And then there's the things that we generally, most people do, of services rendered by which they produce income to sustain themselves and hopefully not be a burden on society and actually be a blessing to others less fortunate. That's the ideal plan. But what we're talking about here is the actual kingdom work. It says here in the first verse that the work is great. Now, they're building the literal physical temple. We talked about this. Historically speaking, this is one of the greatest architectural things that happened in that time of the human race. It's, just, it's amazing what they did, what they built, how they did it. We're going to see it in Second Chronicles. But the work is great. Because the work is not for man, but for the Lord God. See, here's that distinction. It's not so much going in the field and serving the Lord in the olive groves or the vineyards and stuff like that. It is doing what is clearly defined 100% the work of the Lord. And he says, it's for the house of God, and this is the work of the Lord. It's a great work. It's the work of the Lord, and it's for the house of God. It's, it's kingdom work. And we think tonight about what kingdom work looks like for us as we're gathered here at Worship Generation. Kingdom work 
would be what God does in and through us in the local church, what God can do in and through us in a broader church sense. So, for example, Andrew and Sophie leading us in worship tonight, they're both involved in Calvary Costa Mesa. They're on staff at Costa Mesa. So they have their kingdom work in their local church of what they do. But when they come here and use the, the, their gifts, they're blessing the greater body of Christ. Now we're like first cousins in the Calvary Chapel movement with Big Calvary. So they're just visiting the cousins, if you will, and, and we're worshiping the Lord together and their gifts are blessing us. They're doing kingdom work, but it's not just their local church. So they're doing something. But what they're doing here tonight is 100% kingdom work. They're, this is kingdom work. Leading God's people in worship is kingdom work. So I just want to make that clear. Then the Great Commission. So when you think about people going out and doing ministry, going on ministry trips, Randy Crosco, who was a deacon here for years and is now a pastor down the street, he has a Tuesday night service too. Isn't that awesome? Like, there must be the only two pastors in Southern California that have Tuesday night services. He went to Asia last year. He went to Vietnam and Cambodia and the Philippines and did ministry. He, he, you know, he's a black belt. He's a very gifted black belt. And they do MMA stuff. And that just opens up doors of opportunity anywhere you go. But in the Asian culture, it's huge. Like with mayors and all these people. And they went last year and it was just phenomenal. And they're going back again very soon. And they're going to do the same thing. Philippines, Cambodia, and Vietnam. And, and do this uh, MMA training. So they use the MMA training to draw all the people into the city square, if you will. And they've got successful people that have you know high level mma ufc type of fighters and they do their stuff and then they share their testimony and they share the gospel in vietnam cambodia and the philippines think about that for a minute that's that's pretty powerful they they actually do training with uh, law enforcement in vietnam <laughs> that's just wow wrap your mind around that one a little bit now we supported that ministry last year and we've already sent already hooked them up to fund this trip this year as well. But that's kingdom work. Now, they are doing MMA and you know martial arts, but they are there to preach the gospel. They're not there with the USA surf team or the Chilean surf team where you're looking for opportunities to share with people like I would be when I went to the Azores or Nicaragua when I was coaching these teams at world championship events. I would look for opportunities and I'd get opportunities to share, but I was there as the coach of Team Great Britain, or the coach of Team Chile, or the coach of Team USA. See the distinction? And I just want to make that clear, because our context is kingdom work. So as you think right now, as we go through this text and look at these points, I want you to think about you, if you're married, your marriage, your family, your children. I want you to think about kingdom work. And really, the context is interesting, because the context is at the end of the journey, when you look back on your kingdom work and how you're finishing your journey with the king. Like your final game, if you will, for a sports team. Like, remember Kobe's final game with the Lakers? He dropped like 60 points. You remember that? Staples Center, if you're a sports fan. Kobe's final game, he dropped like 60 points. That was his final game. That was how it finished. This is David dropping his 60, if you will. This is how he finished. He gave it everything. He was all in and above with his resources, and he inspired the people to do the same. It was awesome. But the principle of how David ended also speaks to young people tonight as to who we want to be when we end. Because if the principles apply to someone like me in my 60s or others that are around my age range, 
where we're on the second half, if you will, how much more so for younger people on the front half? These principles of how David approached kingdom work, the things of the kingdom, well, like Andrew and Sophie in their ministry. As many of you know, having just recently celebrated 35 years in ministry, just a month before I celebrated 35 years being married, it has been a reflective year in 2023. And for all the struggles and things I do differently in the ministry, looking back in reflection on my life, last week I mentioned about the church in Vermont and the church in Virginia and these things. I'm just so glad that that's what I was led to do by the Lord with my life, and I'm so glad that's what I did with the Lord with my life. Because for you younger people, I testify for all of us older people, once you're 62, you don't get a redo. Now, if you're 42, you got a chance to do a reboot in the second half. I spoke to a young woman in her early 40s who's been in ministry for 20 years serving others and had a great conversation with her this week. And I was like, hey, you've got a 40-60 window right now that you've got a 20-year window that you can do a lot of things with the Lord as you feel led by the Lord and, and break out and rethink things and, and, and get a bigger vision or however what the Lord's showing you to do. But trust me, when you're 60, it's like, hey, if it's hockey, it's the third period, not the second period. And this is who we are and we're getting our hustle on. So kingdom work, local church, body of Christ, the church, the Great Commission, going out like Randy Crosco, or supporting someone like Randy Crosco like we do, or other things that would be specifically ministry-related. For example, Jack and Laura uh, from our church here, they go sometimes to the Orange County Rescue Mission and do ministry and lead worship. That is clearly kingdom work. Jennifer Monroe from our church, if you recall, during COVID, she went to Afghanistan and did ministry. She went to Turkey and did ministry. That's kingdom work. Court going out and sharing his faith, that's kingdom work. Things that, are, things that we do that clearly are motivated by the gospel of Jesus Christ, building up the local church, and advancing the kingdom. That's our context. So now, David and his kingdom work, the first thing we see here, is that he said, I prepared with all my might. He's finishing serving the Lord. In the last glimpse of his life, he says, I prepared with all of my might. Everything that David was, now let's think about David. David is a man of God with a heart after the Lord. He's a man who's received great mercy and grace from the Lord. So he knows the Lord intimately what it's like to fail greatly and be forgiven profoundly. Solomon in the Proverbs, he'll talk about his dad, what he learned from his dad, and he's talking about David. Going through Chronicles, it's taught me something I haven't really noticed that much before in such detail, that David was in fact very knowledgeable, understanding, and had tremendous wisdom in his own right, and was led by the Lord. So when it says here, with all of his might, so we're talking about David, the temple, the great work of God. Now we're saying about you, me, and the body of Christ, all his might. See, some people who confess Christ approach church that, like, it's just, you know, a a pie of eight pieces, and religion and personal faith is one of those eight. I shared this, but not for a while. When I gave my life to Christ in 1987, I'd previously done some success seminars 
And one of those seminars had a wheel of life, and it had eight segments of your life. And it had relationships, finances, education, these sorts of things. And it had religion. It literally said religion for one-eighth of your life. You know, like, like what? Like, put any religion you want in there and say, like, yeah, God's one-eighth of my life. And when I received those materials, it was before I had the attempted suicide. It was before I ever gave my life to Christ. And so after I gave my life to Christ, I always remember going through some old stuff and finding that, those materials and seeing that chart. And I remember looking at it going like, well, that explains everything. I made Jesus one-eighth of my life. No wonder I ended up in a straitjacket. Because <laughs> that means I thought I was seventh-eighths capable of running my life and guiding my life. No wonder I went crazy. That's how a lot of people who confess Jesus Christ live for Jesus Christ, where he's one-eighth of their life. Now, I'm not saying that about us. I'm not saying about you, and I sure hope I'm not saying it about me. But there is a danger of compartmentalizing our faith with the Lord and even how we serve the Lord. We don't ever want to do that. Jesus needs to be the whole pie, the whole wheel of life. He's, he's over all of it. So you can put Jesus over and say, okay, this is my mental, spiritual, and physical development, and my emotional development. You can do that, but Jesus is over all of it. And you can say, you know, left brain for metrics, right brain for creativity, but the mind of Christ is over all of it. See, that's how we want to look at it. So what I love about David here is like, in the, listen, in the very end of his life, he's given everything he's got for this final push, for this great work of God, for the house of God, for the glory of God. Like, he's not retiring and shutting down. He's firing it up and turning it on. He's finding another gear. He's going all in with everything he has. In the previous chapter, we saw where he had the plan from the Lord. He had the possessions from the Lord to build the temple, his own and what was in the national coffers, if you will. And he had the skillful people that could do the work. He, he gave Solomon this plan. And this plan was like the crown jewel of everything David ever learned in life. In the first book of Psalms, there's 41 Psalms. They're all by David. And a fascinating thing about that is five of those Psalms, he talks about the house of the Lord and the temple of the Lord. And the reason that's fascinating is it never existed when he was alive. Let us go up to the house of the Lord. Let's go and enter his courts. Like, he never had that. He ate the showbread when Saul was pursuing him, but... Five times in songs he wrote about going to the temple of God to worship God, but there was no temple. In other words, his life, as he wrote these psalms that are in the scriptures for us, he was declaring what he was seeing, a future to come, that even in his timeline he wouldn't see it, but his son would build it. But with the eyes of faith, he saw it before it ever happened. And his passion to be in the ultimate courts of the Lord, heaven itself, drove him and moved him throughout his life. And here in the last segment of his life, all that he is, all of his physical strength, the time of the day that you have, the priorities of the day, the passion of his heart, the pursuit of his life, it is all focused on kingdom work. Reminds me of like Billy Graham doing the LA crusade in his late 80s, you know, and when he did that last big crusade in Los Angeles, he spoke for like 18 minutes, I think, was how long the message was. And then in his 90s, he did that TV crusade, right? Just 
just doing it. Pastor Chuck with the oxygen tank, dying of lung cancer. You can YouTube it. You go home and YouTube and watch his last message. It's there. You can find it on YouTube. I've watched it. And we don't want to do the kingdom work all in because it's the only thing we know how to do because that's what some people do. Some people fiddle-faddle and they're tinkers their whole life and they're tinker, 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 tinker people. And then when they're 90 or 80, they just tinker because that's what they do. They're tinkers. That's all they know how to do. We're not like that. We're kingdom people because we're kingdom people and we're doing the kingdom and advancing the kingdom, living for the kingdom, and we see the kingdom and the glory because that's what we're doing. Not because it's the only thing we know how to do. It's because we want to do. Pastor Chuck was in the pulpit. He was not in the pulpit because that's the only thing he knew how to do. Pastor Chuck was a genius. There's a lot he could have done. He wanted to be in the pulpit, preaching and teaching. So he wanted to do. Look what kingdom work Pastor Chuck Smith did. Green Valley, Marietta, Twin Peaks. Unbelievable. Europe, Baita, all these other places. Unbelievable. Right to the end. Kingdom work. Now, on this point, this is what I'd say. When we're fully committed with all my might to do kingdom work, whether we're 20 years of age or 80 years of age and anything in between, rich or poor, male or female, when our life is waking up and we're fully committed to kingdom work, we have a reason to live. We have a purpose to live. We have a passion to live. It's no coincidence that Rick Warren's book, Purpose Driven Life, is one of the most popular books of all time. Because the title says it all. Every life has a purpose. And if you're living for Christ and you see the kingdom over everything, not just going to work and shining for the Lord, but the kingdom work, then you've got a reason to get up. There's no time to roll over and die. Someone texted me this week from another state, and they said, I just want to retire and move to the Philippines or Australia. And I, I texted back, retirement's overrated. We're just getting started with the king. You need to find another gear. <laughs> Sounded kind of like, it was a short response. and like, whoa, Joey, I'm like, what do you expect? He used to sit in this, to sit in this sanctuary and listen to me. Believe me, retirement's overrated. My cousin Katie, she retired. She's blind. And she retired, and she drove her husband nuts with sheer boredom. She went back to work within like six months. We're meant to do stuff. When God put Adam Eve in the garden, he gave him a task and a stewardship. And we're meant to do something. We're meant to do it as unto the Lord. And ultimately, in the body of Christ, when we belong to the Lord, we're meant to do things in conjunction with the body of Christ. So just of all things that have brought me joy at Worship Generation in almost 18 years, Bruce and Gloria Moore being in this church has just made me so blessed. Because he had a whole career. They went to Big Calvary for years. They've been married for 50 years. What a testimony to have in our church. And like the 50th year of his marriage, he became a deacon at Worship Generation. And he's doing sound tonight. Like, how awesome is that? What's your kingdom work? It looks different for different people. Think about what the kingdom work is. I think about what the kingdom work is every day. I, I go through my phone. Worship Generation Goals, the kingdom work. The, the Joy Brand Ministry Foundation, kingdom work. 
beyond the drain in the book, kingdom work, kingdom work, kingdom work, kingdom work. Because I know I'm on the clock. Because above everything in my life is watching and ready for the day of the Lord. I've got a period of my life, a pyramid of my life, but the top of it, of not John Wooden's pyramid, but Joy Brand's pyramid, is watching and ready for the day of the Lord. Because it's surely coming. And I'm not coming back when I'm gone. You realize when we go, we go. There's no second chances. There's no, there's no reloads. There's no reboot. I'm already going to regret wasted time in eternity. I'm sure of it. I don't live in, I don't condemn myself for that. I can't change yesterday, but I sure got some fire under my feet for today. And I hope you do too. Full commitment with all of our might to kingdom work. Our time, our energy, our wisdom, a reason to get up and get going. Passion, priorities, and purpose. David was full commitment to the very end of his life. And if we're not full commitment, or what we think in our own hearts full commitment would look like, then we have a very simple solution to it. The person in the mirror. The person in the mirror. Because if the person in the mirror today does not reflect who we want to be with kingdom work, if you do the same thing today you did yesterday, then you'll get the same thing tomorrow that you got yesterday. So if you want to be more diligent and more faithful and more about the kingdom work, then make sure when you look at that person in the mirror, you're open to all the things from the one who's over the mirror to let God work in you to change you for a greater capacity of greater things for kingdom work. Because again, if we do today what we did yesterday, we will get the same thing tomorrow. And I decided a while back, I didn't like my yesterdays, and I want a better tomorrow, so that means I need to change today. And I'm working on it. Not like, like works of the flesh, but like, no. I, with all my might. That's how we're meant to live. And David reminds of it. Because that's how we want to die. David's dying. Some people die and they never lived. David is dying and he gave them example. Fully committed. That's how we want to be. Now, the second point we see is that he sowed bountifully. He said, this is very interesting. Look at the, this was almost two points. I wrestled with this one. Is this the second point or is this point two and three, right? But look what he says. Because he said, I have prepared with all my might. Then he says, because I have set my affection on the house of my God, I have given to the house of my God over and above all that I have prepared. I merge those two I haves because I have number two and I have number three really go together. I have set my affection on the house of my God. He has set his affection, his passion on kingdom work. And in doing so, all that he was, his time, his energy, and his financial wealth, his uh, material wealth was all set for it as well. Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount said it best. To store up our treasures in heaven because where your treasure is, your heart will be also. This is an absolute principle in life. We understand this. That we can always know what someone's living for or if they're living for nothing by watching their time and their money. Uh, it's science. Follow the money trail. 
follow the time trail. If someone says, I love to surf, and they surf four or five times a week, you know they love to surf. If they say, I love to surf, and they don't surf once in six months, they don't love to surf. That would be me, the latter of the two. You can follow my time trail. I'm all for people surfing if they want to surf. I just have no interest in surfing, especially gray may and brown water. I just... You know, like this is, that's not my grandkids surfing in Florida in crystal green water that's 80 degrees. Now that gets my interest, okay? But you can always follow the time trail and the money trail. We make time for what we want to do, and we, however little resources we have or a lot of resources, you follow the money trail, and it'll tell us uh, exactly what is important to us with our finances. And that's so with the kingdom of God. Now I thought about this. I mentioned this Tuesday night. It's pretty easy to give everything away when you're about to die, if you think about it. I mean, if you're going to die, it's like, hey, what good is $10 million in the bank? I might as well give it away. By the way, that is a really good investment. You look at, like, Franklin Graham and Samaritan's Purse and Greg Laurie and these different types of ministries. Most ministries are set up to receive, you know, trust and things like that and possessions for the ministry, which is, which is actually a really good investment in, in many cases for people who are, feel led to do that with their wealth. Because here's what I've realized about this. Of course, you cannot take it with you. We always say that. You cannot take it with you. But I thought of something recently. Actually, you can. You know how? You give it away for kingdom work. If you give it away, For kingdom work, it transcends time, space, and matter. The giver, the sower, reaps in eternity. But if you take and hold it, you leave it behind and none of it goes with you. Because takers take and it's never enough even when they've taken almost all your stuff. And they implode. And they're like a black hole and they begin to implode on themselves. And then they step into eternity and it all just dissolves and melts away and and there's, there's no eternal fruit from it, and you can't take it with you. But givers give and keep on giving because they're always willing to keep on forgiving. And you sow and you grow, and you sow bountifully and you reap bountifully. Paul said, the one who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. The one who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Jesus said, good measure, pressed down, always measured back to you. See, the way we the way the fruit carries over the temporal fruit into the next realm is by being fully consecrated, committed to the eternal realm when you're in this realm. For David himself said, all this abundance that we prepare for you is from you and of you. For all things come from you and of your own, you have given them to us. We never own it. I'll tell you what, there's things you, there's things you fear when you're young and you say, I just can't fear that, right? But then when you get older, the things you fear, like younger people, let me tell you what old people fear, outliving their money. That's top of the list. And this had me having one more thought about this. Remember when David was conquering kings and he took their crowns? Remember that? He had the crown, he had the crown from Edom. I got to thinking, whatever happened to the king of Edom's crown? You know, David had a trophy room, right? So he had a crown. So did he break down that crown? Is that the precious stones that he donated here to the temple, to the kingdom work? Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. This much we know. By the time Rehoboam became king, David's grandson, 
who had no heart for the Lord, it all got redistributed. Pharaoh Necho took it all. He took the gold shields. And then eventually, you know, Nebuchadnezzar took a bunch of stuff away. Some came back, but a lot didn't. Think how much wealth in 6,000 years has been redistributed on this planet. Gold, silver, precious jewels, all this stuff. And where is it? It just all gets left behind. There's that famous Twilight Zone where the guy's starving to death and he's hauling the gold bars through the desert. You older people remember that one. He just... It does seem like it'd be easier to give all that money away when you're stepping into eternity, like David. And he had lots of wives and children to take care of. He had some court-appointed payments to take care of for extended family. And I'm sure he covered that. But he was a wise investor. And by his own confession, he says, I gave above and beyond. I've given in my life, we've given as a church. You've given. Many of you are very generous people. The last thought on this is I've studied famous people that have loved the Lord and served the Lord greatly, like your George Mueller's who live by faith and so bountifully and Pastor Chuck and these kind of people. Without intending to, I found something common with a lot of them is that the older they got and more down the road they got, the more they gave. So like a tithe being a starting point, like a tenth of their income or whatever. But as they got older, they just gave more and more and more. That's, I think that's a good way to end. I think I speak for all of us. Like, I still try to, you know, I want to like, make sure I got this for this and I got that for that. You with me? When it comes to finance, like, I want this for this and that for that. I got this set up to do this and I got that set up to do that. But listen... This kind of text reminds all of us. It's from the Lord. It's of the Lord. And we just got to keep it. It's got to always be the Lord's. I've mentioned this before. I've had people give me cars, and I've, I've given away cars. I've been giving away cars for 35 years, and I have people giving me cars for 35 years. Be a giver. So bountifully. Absolutely universal law of the universe, which is a repetitive term, but an absolute law of the universe that God set up, and all world religions and world philosophies agree on this. What you put out is what you get back. It's like gravity. So you want a payday in eternity? This is the place to be sowing. Sow to the gospel, sow to the kingdom, sow to the great commission. Finally, the third thing is, and in so doing, this is something that really... David, in so doing, so he was all in. He, he, it was, he said, uh, I prepare with all my might. Then he said he gave above and beyond. So he, he said it, and he did it, and he showed it. And then what do we get? He says, now who's with me? See, this is, how, this is how ministry works when you lead from the front. Ministry is leading from the front. You serve from the front. You give from the front. You lead from the front. John Corson, years ago, so many years ago, Pastor John in Oregon, said to me, Joey, the church will always reflect you. So if the church isn't praying enough, you're not praying enough. If the church isn't serving enough, you're not serving enough. If the church isn't giving enough, you're not giving enough. And now I look back, and I can see exactly why we had some hard times because of the man in the mirror, and I can see why I've had some prosperous times because of the man in the mirror. Our, our, our reality begins to reflect who we are and how we live by faith and how we demonstrate faith, and it's there. It's there. And David, in this great example, exhorted the people, 
But more importantly, well, he reminded the people that it's all the Lord's too. But more importantly, you have to say he inspired the people, didn't he? His example inspired the people. Because it says, and we saw in the text, they offered willingly and gave for the work of the house of God, verse 6, verse 7. And then it says again that then the people rejoiced for they offered willingly, there's verse 9. And because with a loyal heart they offered willingly, it says three times the people offered willingly. David was a good, he was a good motivator. Like his, his public speaking skills were strong, but more importantly, the testimony of what he was saying it's one thing to say, hey, sow bountifully and you reap bountifully and, and not do it, but it's quite another to do it. I became aware of a man recently who was a life insurance salesman. True story. A life insurance salesman. And he passed away this year or within the last year. And lo and behold, he had no life insurance. And his family and his loved ones have been hung out to dry. I said, now, when a person told me this, I said, no, you got to say that again. You're telling me this man's career, his purpose in life was selling life insurance and he never had any? How did he sell it? How do you sell something? Well, Zig Ziglar would tell you this, and any salesman would tell you this. You can't sell what you won't buy. You can't sell what you don't believe in. The man sold life insurance and died without life insurance. Man, man, we want fire of Christ right here. We want faith right here, and everyone can see it. We want people like, I want what you have. I want that fire. I want that passion. I want Jesus. I want the kingdom. I want the glory. That's because we're not, we're not religious. We're not manufacturing things. We're not like, hey, do this, but we don't, like, buy life insurance, but I don't have it. How do you even, I just, I can't even believe that. But yet people do that. People do that with their lives. Our lives are meant to be rich and full with passion and purpose in the living God. And as we're sincere, and as we're living that life, and as we're, we're living the life of faith, and as we're serving people, and as we're sowing bountifully, as we're about the kingdom business, as church is really important to us, and the body of Christ is really important to us, the universal church is really important to us, church history matters, and the church future matters for the next generation, and seeing what God has for them. When we look at the next generation, and we see more for them than what we ever had, that's how we have to see it. I have to tell people all the time in social media, don't send that to me. I don't have social media, so you can send me something like that. I reject that thought and that process. Ours is the kingdom, and I see a brighter future for the next generation. And no matter what's going on outside these doors with governments and societies and cultures, I know that when Jesus Christ sends holy fire, it changes like that. And if he chooses to do that, then we've got a Charles Finney revival. We've got a Deal Moody revival. We've got the book of Acts. He can do it anytime. See, we want to show that faith, that kingdom faith. We want to show that kingdom generosity. We want with our time and our resources, we want to be the kingdom with all of our strength, above and beyond. So when we look at the next generation, we say, God's got this, they will believe us. And when we look at the next generation and say, live by faith, they will. And we look at our children's children, we say, so bountifully, they will. Because they'll see the fruit in us. 
this is kingdom business. And this is how to end the journey. This is how you want to retire. You want to drop a 60 spot in your last game at the Staples Center. This is our 60 spot using Kobe's example. This is kingdom business. This is how, this is how you finish the journey. But more importantly, this is how you live the journey. One and done. Kingdom, kingdom, kingdom. Church, body of Christ, gifts, interaction, functioning together, serving together, sowing together, living by faith, advancing the kingdom. That's it. That's life. That's our very purpose in everything we do. And we can bog down with the distractions of day-to-day life, day-to-day concerns, and forget what really matters. What matters is the great work of the kingdom business, the kingdom work. And in the end, as David challenged them and exhorted them, and they were inspired by him, and they all came together and agreed, what is more beautiful? I mean, this verse 9 is, First Chronicles 29 verse 9 is one of the more beautiful verses in the Bible. Because you have a great king, an all-in king, a generous king in the last sequence of his life, rejoicing with the people he led, and he truly led them. And the last thing we see is him and them giving everything to the Lord for the great work of the Lord, rejoicing together, the one who's going into eternity and the ones who are staying behind to take it another generation forward. And in the very end, the latter part of this text that we didn't read, they all bow down and fall on their faces before God. That is a good ending. Because that's a good beginning. And that's a good ending for time. Because that's a good beginning for eternity. It's the kingdom work. And it'll be our legacy. We're all writing our legacies. Today, my choices are my character. Today, my choices became habits are my legacy. And what's true for me is true for you. So, obviously I'm very passionate about making choices and habits for kingdom business. And hopefully I'm inspiring you to do the same. I don't know what that looks like for you. And I close with this thought about Brian Jameson, our good friend up the road at Orange County Christian Fellowship. Small church, 40 people on a Sunday. They've been there now for over 15 years, or 12 years, 12 years. Just doing what they do. I called the other day, he's at the elderly home doing ministry with elderly people. So Brian Jameson. During COVID, they partnered with Brian McDaniels and gave above and beyond. And they planted like five churches in Haiti the poorest, one of the most dangerous countries in the world. They planted those churches. Now, we were sowing all over the world. We were like everywhere, and they're just like, boom, Haiti, right? Isn't that beautiful? And we have a great history and great legacy here. Thank you. It's a very generous church. Keep on being generous for whatever God has for you and wherever he, what he has for your time and your energy and your resources. Keep being generous and do it as unto the Lord, knowing that always your labor is not in vain, especially when you're doing labor that's kingdom business.